0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a continuation of our epiphany series. I've been issuing the help of all the people on staff to record these podcasts in the weeks ahead as we look at the different characteristics of Jesus. And so today, Pastor Gary is going to come on and talk to us about how Jesus is a prophet, There's something that we don't talk about or think about every day. So I hope this enlightens you and gives you new ways of thinking about who Jesus is in your life. As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for telling your family and friends about it, for leaving us reviews and likes on iTunes. All of that really does help other people discover the podcast. But now I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Gary as he shares with us some thoughts about Jesus the prophet.
1: This is Pastor Gary Sandberg, and I'm pleased to be coming to you this day in the midst of the season of Epiphany as we talk about the ways that Jesus is revealed or to consider new ways that we might understand maybe titles for Jesus, but also how that plays out in Jesus' ministry and our understanding of some of the ways that Jesus was already about this opportunity to reveal who he was for his disciples, for the greater community, and even for us today, for the world. Today I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about Jesus as prophet. But when I talk about this, this wouldn't be considered the classic way we might think about a prophet. This wouldn't be in the same way that we might consider Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel, but rather prophet in a more of a literary sense. That is, somebody who would give hints about their future in the midst of present events. We might even call this Jesus the foreshadower. I just think talking about Jesus as prophet, of somebody who unveils that which is yet to come, seems to make a little more sense for us as we understand how Jesus would embody the history of the past, but also create some nuances of what that might mean for the future. So today, as we consider that, I want to take a look at a couple of Jesus' miracles. Now, there'll be another podcast talking about Jesus as miracle worker. so I'm not really looking to do that today as much as to understand that when Jesus performed some of his miracles, especially his early ones, that he might have been giving a little prophecy, a little foreshadowing of some deeper meaning that was yet going to come. As we look at this, we're gonna take a look at two miracles, as I mentioned. One is the first miracle that Jesus performed. Now, when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we'll read chronologically that there was a miracle performed But neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke make a point of telling us that this was Jesus' first miracle. We actually only get that from the Gospel of John, where John very pointedly tells us this was the first miracle. John normally using the word sign, which I think also plays very much into this concept of Jesus as prophet or foreshadower, that these signs of who Jesus was are going to carry much deeper meaning. And so John tells us that the first of Jesus' signs was at the wedding at Cana in Galilee. Now, if you want to hear specifically about the way that that miracle connects into a wedding and into the greater community, I commend to you the podcast, which is a recap of Pastor Nate's sermon on Uh, January 16. He does a masterful job of unveiling that concept of the wedding in the midst of this miracle. I'm going to talk to you though just a little bit differently about how this might play out. So as I mentioned, John makes a point of saying this is the first of Jesus' signs that we will see in the Gospel of John. And so when we consider this we have both the imagery of water, but then the imagery of wine as well. So we take a look at those two opportunities and what they mean for us and how Jesus might be working through both of them. We're told that the water that Jesus had on hand was water that was available in the jars of purification. This would be where, as people were entering maybe into the wedding banquet, there would be a meal that they would go through this ritual of hand washing or whatever else they might. There might even be a, a ritual of washing their forehead or something like that but that would have come with that, but very much a ritual almost for ritual's sake. So I find it interesting that Jesus uses that water set aside for a ritual and changes, changes it into wine for the wedding feast, as it were. Now, as we think about that, I think Jesus was already giving us a little bit of foreshadowing of the importance of wine and what that would mean for Jesus' ministry. We hear this a little bit when we get later into John's gospel as Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Well, the vines that people would know about were the vines in a vineyard where the grapes would be growing. And so this was really common imagery that Jesus would use in some of his teaching. But I also think really important to understand that the people in Jesus' day approaching the water would have gone through a a ritual sense of cleansing. But we'll hear later in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel that Jesus uses a ritual that might have included wine, but now makes it so much more personal, so much more dynamic to us, that we don't simply go through a ritual to please God, but rather that God comes to us doing something really significant. Now, you might already have a hint at where I'm going with this, But as I talk about the next miracle, it'll probably become radically clear to you where I'm going to go with all of this. Because the other miracle I want to talk to you about is the only miracle that appears in all four gospel readings. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record and give an account of the miracle of what we have come to know as the feeding of the 5,000. This where Jesus takes a couple of loaves of bread blesses them, breaks them, and hands them out, and all who were gathered, different accounts of maybe how many, 5,000 men, and then the women and children also, or 5,000 people gathered on the hillside, it really doesn't matter. What Jesus does is takes a very small portion and allows it to be divided over and over and over again until all are fed. And I think in that miracle, which has gained such importance that every gospel writer would choose to record it, that Jesus does always, uh, or does again, something really significant that gives us some foreshadowing of what will be an, an extremely significant event in his ministry. So we have these two things taking place, the miracle of the water changed to wine, and then the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, of the dividing of the bread, and of course a couple of fish as well. Both ways of drawing us into understanding that these miracles in particular have so much to do with community, Changing the water and the wine happens at a wedding feast, a community gathering where the people there find themselves drawn into all of the importance of being together as community. Now they all knew what they were there for, in this case, all gathering for a wedding feast. So that was something that they already understood what had drawn them. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sort of just ends up someplace and all these crowds have gathered in to listen to him and then he realizes that they're there without food and a meal time is approaching very quickly such that they wouldn't all have time to go out and, and buy their own meal or do whatever they needed to do for one. So now, although they're gathered simply for for learning about Jesus, Jesus turns this into a much greater expression of the community as he makes a meal happen in the midst of all of that. What might be so important about that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is also that this was simply spread among everyone. We don't know the backgrounds of who was gathered there. We don't know the The um, intent of their going out, was it just curiosity? Did they really understand Jesus as as prophet, potentially even Messiah at this point? Or were they just kind of following the crowd and just wanting their curiosity to be fed? For whatever brought them to that moment, what we see Jesus doing is making this meal the most inclusive type of meal we could imagine. It wasn't a matter of saying, gather all of those who might consider me to be a messiah, let's feed them. It wasn't gather all of those who can trace their heritage back to a a certain Jewish lineage, let's feed them. No, instead it was everybody who was gathered was going to be fed. The, the, The most inclusive way that you could create community That's what Jesus does through the feeding of the 5,000. So we take these two very early miracles of Jesus and we could simply let them go and actually that would be just fine. If we let them stand on their own simply as miracles or signs of who Jesus is, that gives us plenty to work with. But I want to take it just a little step further and realizing that through bread and wine jesus might have already been prophesying foreshadowing foreshadowing through these two miracles what would end up being the event that draws christians together every week especially those who are part of sacramental churches like a bethany lutheran church congregation But here we're gathered together now to experience this sacrament of Holy Communion. And some could, of course, look at this as simply a ritual for ritual's sake. It happens in the midst of our worship liturgy. We go through the the, the words of, of liturgy, the words of, of blessing of the bread and wine, the words that we share when someone comes forward. Uh, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And it could be that it looks simply ritualistic. And to be quite honest, it could be that there are times when people are in worship that they simply come forward and they participate in it participate in communion as a ritual. But there are times, and I would hope even more times than not, that people come forward understanding that they're really coming forward for something that is beyond ritual, but is truly sacramental. We come forward knowing that Jesus gives us bread now, but we don't see this as, a miracle that Jesus did to impress the crowds, not that that was the intent of the feeding of the 5,000 in the first place, but we come forward knowing that we're coming to communion, that is, we're coming to a community gathering of incredible welcome, of, of incredible inclusivity, that this meal is opened up to all of us And we understand in the midst of that, that no matter where we come from and no matter the intentions that might have drawn us even to worship that day, that Jesus in that moment is intent on bringing us a blessing that is both completely within and completely beyond our understanding of what Jesus is doing. And then when we receive the wine, we hear these words as Jesus recounts uh, the the Passover story and then takes it one step further as he says, "Um, This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so now this is no longer simply a, a ritual cleansing that we feel we do for ourselves to appease God as we go into a banquet. But now what we see is God comes to us. God comes to us to bring us this sense of deep and abiding forgiveness that we are going to have in our lives. And I think that's what Jesus was doing in both of these miracles. He was taking something that might have been an action that we thought we would need to do for God and flipping it upside down and saying simply come to the communion meal and let God do something for you. Let God build community right there in your midst. Let God uh, forgive you to let you know of this deep and abiding forgiveness and presence of God for your life. That's what we see happening. I think Jesus was already trying to give us a glimpse of of the importance of that meal when he went to that wedding at Cana in Galilee when he went to that field and the people gathered on the hillside I think people, I think Jesus was already saying that that he wanted us to catch a glimpse of the glory that would be in his future and in our future as well. I think Jesus is truly a prophet, not one that's going to bring words of, of terrible rebuke, although he would certainly do that at points for our lives and at points for even some of the religious leaders and what they were doing. But I think Jesus was far more important to him, was looking out to the future and trying to Give us an understanding of the incredible grace that would flow through him in so many different circumstances. As a prophet, Jesus already was setting the stage for this concept of communion that would come out of the, the long tradition of celebrating the Passover, a, a, a gift and a, a banquet of freedom that we would know a deep and abiding sense of community right there in our midst, that we would know a deep and abiding sense of God's love and forgiveness expressed to us in a way that only Jesus could make happen. So as we consider Jesus as prophet, there are other ways, of course, Jesus went about this, but they just weren't very subtle. Jesus simply said plainly to his disciples, the Son of Man will be handed over to uh, sinful people and be crucified. And you might say that Jesus was being somewhat prophetic there as well, and he certainly was, but I think we need to look deeper sometimes and see that Jesus really wanted us to to gain an understanding that there's so much of what we might attempt to do to earn God's love to go through rituals thinking that we're appeasing God. And what Jesus wanted us to do is just to to come forward, let God do something for us. May our time of communion be a time where we understand that it really is a miracle. It really is something both within and beyond our understanding to know that through bread, And wine, wine that might have been shared at a wedding banquet, bread that might have been broken on a hillside, that Jesus comes to bring us everything about himself, his body, his blood, his grace, that we might live freely now because we have turned ourselves over and let God feed us. Jesus is certainly a prophet. He may break the mold of the Old Testament prophets who spoke to nations, but I know that he speaks to me, and I hope that Jesus, as a prophet, speaks to you as well. Thanks for being a part of this podcast in this season of Epiphany as we understand and explore all the wondrous ways that Jesus is revealed to us.